Hey everybody, this is Jamin, host of the Happy Market Research Podcast. In conjunction with MR Web, I've had the honor of interviewing three of the leading custom panel companies. This is one of those three episodes. If you're not currently subscribed to MR Web, I just can't recommend another resource. He gives you a daily update on happenings, whether it's HR, M&A, technology releases, companies going out of business, companies starting. I mean, there is not a single point of truth that I found to be more consistent and reliable than MR Web. So check them out. They're great. And I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com. Hi, I'm Jamin. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is David Garcia Pauli, Director of European Countries, that's CMI, Consumer and Market Insights at Samsung. Established in 1938, Samsung is the world's largest information technology company, consumer electronics maker, and chip manufacturer measured by 2017 revenues. Prior to joining Samsung, David has held senior roles on both the agency and client side at leading firms, including LG and GFK. David, thanks very much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Hello. Thank you for having me here. It is an honor to have somebody like yourself. Of course, we love our brand guests. But before we jump into our conversation, I'd like to provide some context to our listeners. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your parents and how they informed your current career. Well, from my name, you can gather it's, uh, well, David Garcia Poli. I'm half English, half Spanish. So uh, I was brought up in, in Spain. That's where my father's from. I was born in England. My mother's English. And I'm married to a Russian lady. So uh, actually, we're uh, very international at home. And I think that's pretty much uh, a lot to do with my the background. I've always had uh, uh, international schools, uh, been traveling a lot around the world. And I think that's uh, part of this uh, curiosity, which is... Uh, Help me to be very engaged with this industry, with this uh, market research. So I think that the curiosity is something that all researchers do need to have to, to work in this in this industry. What uh, language do you guys do? You, your family speak primarily at home. Well, mainly Spanish, but now I'm, I'm I've moved over at the beginning of the year to take on this uh, this European role at Samsung. Now I, I live in the UK with my wife who just came over and we have a three-month baby. So uh, I have I speak to, it, to him in, in Spanish, my wife in Russian, and whenever he goes into nursery school, I'll be English. So I think that's, uh, that's the plant for, uh, in terms of languages. <laughs> that's, that is going to be one uh, adequately <laughs> educated child in context of <laughs> culture, for sure. What an, it's going to be exciting to see that child grow up. I tell you what, I think that having the... Having the international lens on, at an early age is such a benefit to mm -hmm. becoming well-rounded and um, also, I think, also being humble, right? Because mm -hmm. you realize that you're not actually the, your, your culture isn't necessarily the center of the universe. That's right. <laughs> Let's shift gears. You've been in the, in the space for quite a while. Tell me about the market research project that you are most proud of. 
Well, yeah, I mean, after 23 years in market research, uh, and as you mentioned, there's uh, different areas I've worked on. I mean, I did start at Procter & Gamble, which is a great school to, to be at. So I've, I've had both the client side as well as the agency side and both the uh, sort of multinational as well as small startup companies. So I think of two areas. I mean, like at Procter & Gamble, obviously, it's, it's a learning place. It's it's, it's a wonderful to, place to, to start on. Uh, so you always, you always remember your first occasion. So I was very happy doing our first uh, ORS, which was uh, how we called off-the-air research studies on, on evaluating uh, advertising. Uh, this was back in Spain. So it's, uh, well, I think you're, you tend to be proud of the first things you do that as you're becoming engaged in your, your first project. And so I remember um, analyzing a piece of research on some advertising uh, that we were doing for ferry washing up liquid. So uh, that was a, that was a great thing, just being the first project. And actually, also from the um, from the agency side, not that long ago, I, I was involved in a, in a project on uh, launching Argentinian beef in Europe. So again, that, that's a very different kind of project. But again, I think what we've spoken up now in terms of having an international project, it's something which is very appealing to me. So uh, again, it also leads to to the pride behind those those projects, yeah. So is the point of pride centric to the international context of the research and, and accomplishing and, and really conquering the difficulties around that? Or was it centric to the outcome of the research or something else? Well, uh, I mean, I, it varies. I mean, in the case of, of the PNG project, it was just being the first one. It was advertising, which I think in early 1990s, and that, that was the main investment was all in on tv so that was a and especially for procter and gamble who's uh who invests a lot on on, on tv well it's it's a it's a key piece of of research being done so it's it's interesting to start seeing what consumers value and the work you do internally you think may may be relevant to consumers and uh, you don't always hit the nail on the head in the case of the argentinian meat it was interesting because it was a, a completely different category interesting to to relate to the product it took the knowledge you you acquire in relation to what is behind uh, the meat that we eat. Uh, we don't we probably don't give that much thought where the, the cow comes from, how it's reared, and all that impact. So it was interesting how that industry worked. So again, it's something which is completely new, and the fact of the impact that had in terms of uh, for the Argentinian economy. I mean, uh, part of the output meant I had to go to Buenos Aires to actually uh, present to all the leading figures in agriculture in the country or the people who were leading the beef producers of the country. So it's like a big consortium of, of different people at both political and, and, and social level. That was a very interesting presentation. I have to give all the results. Sometimes you're used to presenting to you know, 10, 15 top managers. Here I was presenting to over 100 people in a hotel with all the people from the, as I say, from the political background. And it was, it just made it a, a very interesting project. So I was, I was quite happy to be there. It's, it's fortunate that I, I like how you're kind of weaving it into the uh, impact, not just at a financial, actually not at all from a financial return perspective, but on a more on a social, socioeconomic or benefit to a specific region perspective. And I think that you know, the, the more that we can make those connections with the work that we're doing, the more meaningful that work is for us and, and the easier it is for other people to be able to adopt the insights that come out of it. That's right. I think, uh, you, I think that's a, a key point. I think we see it uh, in terms of the evolution of market research and what is expected from us. I think the impact is key. I mean, uh, I think we're all facing 
difficult situations in all organizations, in all industries. You, we need to justify what we're doing and, and the return on investment, I think, which is a, a, the right approach. So even within our, uh, our roles, we need to make sure that all we do is actionable, that it's impactful. So beyond the, the love that we can have on the actual research pieces that we do, because we, we enjoy doing it, there obviously needs to be a, a clear output to it, a delivery to the business, which helps uh, enhance the image of the of customer marketing inside the uh, department of the market research department. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's nice to have somebody that's had a couple decades in inside of the space because you've seen the evolution that's happened as we've migrated from caddy and in mall intercept uh, or paper-based surveys to a digital context to now, you know, again, we're seeing over the last few years, the uh, adoption of this term, or maybe borrowing of this term, agile research, right? Taking Mm -hmm. it from the development or product space Mm -hmm. and applying it to consumer insights, you know, has become, I think in a lot of ways, almost trendy or buzzwordy. What does, agile research mean to you and what do you see as the key differences <laughs> now you said about the capi and catnison i mean before starting in research when i was 17 i remember my, the first money i made so there was we're talking about the 80s we're going back to the 1980s and i remember having to go to do face-to-face interviews at people's homes and on a 45 minute questionnaire with pen and paper and if this house was not uh, willing to see you had there was a a process you had to follow on who you should be interviewing if that person was not available. There's a whole methodology behind that. So it was interesting to see that. And now anything that if I take, if, you know, any company who cannot give me results within a working week, then, uh, you know, it's they're not agile fast enough. So agile, <laughs> I see things of, uh, yes, yeah, speed, adaptability. I think there are those traits that a lot of it, I think you've, you've mentioned, you know, digital, the digital environment, it means that, uh, Everything is fast. Everything is real time. And in all industries, and again, I think we will see that as consumers, how things are moving. Market research is is at the service of the organization. Uh, and if marketing is evolving, so do we as, as an industry need to evolve in line with all that and being able to deliver insights in a more timely fashion you know there's the pros and the cons on that i mean there is an evolution so where the speed is is uh, becoming uh, paramount together with cost effectiveness i think they're both linked together the things that we we deliver they said as as fast as possible in a cost effective manner and sometimes that can be at the expense of of not well quality or reliability i don't know what for us you know been all these years in market research where we were so conscious about the sampling, the the confidence level, the reliability of the data, the source of the data. I do get a feel that over these years that uh, uh, we have become as an industry a lot more lenient on this, a bit too relaxed, and where the eighty twenty rule seems to be uh, predominant. Like, well, I'm quite happy to sacrifice some uh, quality or some some reliability on this at the expense of having things and being able to take decisions a lot faster. So I think. Well, Top managers are, are, are aware of that. Uh, so are we. I think there are some occasions where that needs to be the, the way to, to move forward. Yeah. I, okay. So there's a ton to unpack there. The And just to kind of level set, because the majority of our office, prob- or sorry, our audience probably doesn't have, you know, more than two decades of research experience. But like back in the day, oh, I sound so old, <laughs> you know, you would spend a ton of effort coming up with your sampling methodology like that was a there were decisions based on 
you know, buyer decisions based on the quality of the sampling methodology, mm -hmm. you know, error rate and all that, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, the in-field aspect of the data analysis uh, or the data project, I should say, you know, was a big part of the indeliverable. We called it a term and tally sheet, which helped identify where people were terming. So, you know, the benefit from that is you're able to size an audience. If, in other words, if you're identifying that you're having, maybe it's a 10% incidence rate when you're in 12 different malls across whatever region that you're targeting, uh, if your incidence rate's falling below that, then your term and tally sheet will tell you why um, and what assumptions that you made in your incidence tests mm -hmm. that were frankly wrong. And to the point that you're making, which is actually something that I don't believe anyone's brought up before, and the audience will, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but it's a really important one. And that is that that amount of thoughtfulness created a lot of insights that were gleaned just during the fielding stages of the mm -hmm. research that, you know, frankly, now we've, I think, in a lot of ways, lost access to. That's right. Yeah, no, I, t I totally agree. I think that it's it's, uh, it's part of the evolution. You let go of some things, you introduce some, I think there are some great things that are going on right now in, in the way we're doing research and the impact we can have. And in, in, it's amazing. And uh, I'd say I think the evolution of internet and into our industry, I think that's, uh, you know, it's a huge impact as, as most of the agencies uh, are aware of that uh, have adapted into that and again uh, we, we i think we have a lot of time from now on it's, it's good to sit back and weigh some of these decisions that we're making because i think there there is obviously a space there for some reliable uh, detailed uh, studies some you know some detailed unas where you invest the resources to to get some clarity on, on, on what we're doing so and i think yeah i think it's uh like with most things in life i think it's, it's to do with a balance getting the right balance on some things where you can uh, experiment and come up with some uh, basic some fast uh, uh areas uh of, of interest and there are others which require and, and should have the the sufficient time and resources dedicated to them so uh, at the end of the day obviously if, uh, when speed and cost is the only variables then you obviously you end up getting what you what you pay for. So I think from the client side now we, we need to be conscious of that when we're um, expecting from our partners, from our agencies to deliver a, in, in a cost and timely manner. However, that doesn't necessarily work both ways. So you know it's it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a bit of a compromise there. Yeah, I I mean I think that's it's interesting. Um, I I would say that the I don't know if you're familiar with the Grit Report uh, produced by um, Green Books, Lenny Murphy, but um, in that, he identifies industry trends. It's a twice annual pr uh, publication. And the, you know, one of the trends that he just continues to hit on is, you know, it used to be the case, speed, quality, cost, pick two. And, you know, we continue to see pressure really on all three. But, mm -hmm. and I, I would completely align with what I'm hearing your point being, which is, you know, the reality is that you do have to make some certain sacrifices and gives if, you know, if, if you are really focused on quality and, or sorry, price and time, or I mean, just really, you know, pick the pick the two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we oftentimes uh, don't have the budgets to be able to support to support mm -hmm. the large research um, necessary, but um, or maybe necessary isn't the right word. That's just the trade offs that that we make. And as we're experienced, we can start understanding when it's okay to cut and when it's uh, and when it's you know not when it's necessary not to. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a series on community panel technology companies and service companies. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Verve, who mm-hmm. I believe you uh, do some business with. I was just curious, as a user of these types of panel technology companies, what do you see as the role of a community panel for a brand? Well, I think well, some of the points we've just touched upon, I mean, they're agile. I think uh, there's the, the agility aspect. They're, also, they're fast. They're cost-effective on an interview-per-interview base. In, at least from the, the service we're getting from Verve, I think the excellent partners. And a very important thing here has to do with the capabilities. I think that works on both the client and the agency side. So in all this context and all this uh, evolution that we're seeing, we newcomers into the industry may be missing some of these scientific approach to research that maybe us people who've been a couple of decades in this probably have. On the other hand, we uh, need to adapt to the new technologies that are that are developing. So I think it works both sides. The younger people may have all these digital views but are missing some of the expertise that some of us may have. Uh, on the other hand, we need to adapt to all the new technologies or the new digital era tools available. So it's getting that right balance. And I think in these community panels or in the case of Aver in particular, I'm quite happy in, in the level of expertise that they have in terms of research while they're also balancing with the fact that they can be very effective and efficient in terms of being uh, speedy with, with our demands. And, and also being fair, I mean, Samsung, we're uh, speed is of paramount importance. So I think we, I'm sure we're not the easiest partner to work for, uh, you know, as, as a client. We're very demanding, I think it's fair to say. And in this case, ha- have adapted themselves very well to, to our needs. So that's something which I personally value value very much. And again, these these community panels have, have given us all this possibility of always on. So it's a very quick way in, uh, to react. To we, we are aware of some of the changes that uh, our competitors are doing, and we can immediately launch study on a Monday and have some basic results on what's happening in the marketplace by the end of the week. So which is something that our top management is demanding from us, and which few companies can deliver and through the community panel uh, that we have with them uh, are able to do so. Yeah, that's that's actually, I think, such a key insight. Um, it's a, and, it, and it requires a long view in terms of an investment thesis, right? Because, you know, this is, as opposed to it being like a, a one and done or single use PO, uh, you've, you've got to know that or trust that um, while you're making the ongoing investment in the community, the payback is quite literally over time. And the benefit is that you're shaving, you know, weeks off of those insights when you need to. Mm-hmm. That's right. What do you see as a, as a user? Was there any surprises like, wow, I didn't see that as either a benefit or potentially even a barrier or issue with respect to having your own community? Well, I mean, the, the community we have with, with Verb, I mean, a lot of the consumers are some of our, some of the panelists are, are our own consumers of our products. So that is quite well set up in terms of on how we use it. That one of the big advantages that we have is that we can, uh, being an international company, it's easy that we can set these panels across countries. So it gives us a, a way to, uh, have an international view on international results and comparable across countries in a very in a, in a very fast and efficient manner. So the fact that we can uh, have access to this uh, international level, the fact that we can have a, a variety of projects, both tactical, more to more strategic ones, and 
and so on. I think that I think that's important. And again, going back to this uh, balance. I mean, we do use a lot this community panel, but we also do a lot of ad hoc research. So it's basically knowing at which stage we, we, we need to uh, be able to pull from one or the other. So all, each of them are offering us some, some benefits and, uh, and things we need to, to look out for. Yeah. So what are the, some of the bigger challenges that you face as an internal researcher in order to create and maintain a community panel? Was it centric to budget requests or maybe more operational considerations? Yeah, I think the budget is, is continuously a constraint in, in any in any organization these days. I think it's uh, that, that's that's a pretty consistent wherever we wherever we're working. And I think in in our case we're very fortunate in that Samsung invests a lot of money worldwide, and in research we're very consumer oriented, and we give a lot of importance in terms of product development and and the communication. So it's very it's important for us. But uh, one of the key things I, I find for uh, community panels, uh, which I keep trying to improve, is always the representativity of the panels and how these are made up. Obviously, as with everything in, in research, the, your, your data is only as good as, as who you're interviewing. So we need to be very methodical and very uh, take a lot of care on what is the panel made out of, who is actually responding, any possible biases. I think you know the reliability of the data ensure that it, that it's there, and again, specifically for panels, ensuring that they are engaged. I mean, uh, opposed to the supposing to add research where it's uh, like a one-off. I mean, the fact that this is a continuous panel that you have people there, you need to find the right um, right engagement uh, that don't overwhelm them, uh, but again, keep them sufficiently engaged so that they will want to carry on being in those panels. So us offering relevant projects. But again, I rely on our partner to make sure that they are offering the, the right incentives or if, if they are uh, working for other clients uh, with, with, a, with a given panel. But, uh, you know, it, it does keep them uh, engaged on a regular basis to so we don't lose them, basically. Have you found that you're spending time doing research on research, thinking about things like optimal incentives or frequency of engagement? Not that, I mean... What I do is I do regular checks on the panel structure. So I do, as uh, in this case, a uh, verb will will prime me. You know, I know exactly how many uh, users uh, I have in, because this is uh, the panel which we have. We have our own unique panel for for us, and uh, depending on the project, we may also need to increase our sample in case we, we need it, and then we. We may have to include other panels from from outside uh, our own one, and then in that yes, I, I mean I think I keep track on in each of uh, the European countries I'm responsible for what is the size of the panel, how many, what is the composition of that panel in terms of demographics, in terms of brand ownership, to make sure that I'm fully aware on on who we have and who is answering all, all our questions. So I don't do research on research on site, but we do. I, but I do keep is, track of that. So yeah. like, yeah, and Verve, it sounds like they're providing that that oversight, you know, to to drive optimal outcomes. The the I guess one of the overarching questions for me is from a panelist perspective, right? So mm -hmm. somebody a respondent, someone who's part of your panel, is there a motivator? Is it primarily centric to like money or points, or is it does it feel like it's more just overall engagement and opportunity to provide feedback? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's a it's a bit of both. I mean, I think it's uh, um, we do create panels uh, from in, in other organizations where I've been, where you try and get employees to give their own feedback. I think it's uh, uh, I think all of us are researchers at heart, and in the same way as we ask our family members to give an opinion, or if I'm thinking of buying a new television, you may ask your 
close friends and relatives. I think you, uh, everyone shares their opinions on, on things. I think even in, within each organization, I think we, we're all experts in our products. So we, I'm sure we all have our opinions on, on, on the products we're using. So that's the possibility of doing that and, yeah, and, and getting engagement through, through the different networks that uh, you have access to. So I think, it, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, so let's say that you were sitting having a cocktail with a good friend, head of insights for whatever company, uh, let's say Apple's iTunes, and they were interested in starting their own community panel. What are three considerations you would tell them or three things that they should be thinking about um, as they embark on making that decision? Well, considering Apple is my main competitor, I don't think I'd be sitting with them having a coffee. And if it was <laughs> okay. that... <laughs> you know what? It's funny you say that. I apologize about the bad, ex- okay. the bad taste on my part. Okay. If I had some, some other friend, I mean, if, if it was someone else in another industry, I mean... The, the, <laughs> Not the, the, Apple. The, the things I would think of, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, for building a community, I think, well, obviously you give, need to give a... a as with every project, what is the objective? What, why are you setting up a community panel? That I think... Uh, as with all pieces of research, you need to be very clear on, on, on the why, and that should help you in decide a sample, you know, who do you want to have in that community panel? It's going to help you best deliver the insight that you're looking for for your business based on the people, you know, because the raw material, what is it going to look like? Uh, second, I think uh, engagement. I mean, you do need to get uh, your panelists engaged. That's key, that they feel interested in the project that you're doing. In terms of rewards, yes, it can be money, uh, what they're getting, uh, which is fine. Sometimes, you know, the fact that you're going to share the results with them could be an option, depending on, obviously, the confidentiality or the project you're running with them. People do like to share their opinions. So I think but I think there needs to be a clear engagement plan with the, with the panel so they want to continue to be there because... One of the key things about a panel, I think you need to look at it as in the medium to long term. So creating a panel, it's, uh, you need to think of where do you see this panel in the mid-long term? I mean, three, five years time, it's not something that you can just set up and close down. So that requires some thought or this is not just on a, on a project basis. It's like, what kind of views am I going to get out of it in the, on an ongoing basis? So again, that's linked to the engagement you're going to be able to get from your panelists. Having some quality checks as well, you know, who's going to be in, who's out, what kind of uh, governance are you going to have for the way the things are going to work uh, with, with the panelists in, in order to, to deliver the insights to the to the organization. I, I like this, the last part that I like all, all of uh, the points you made, but like quality checks and governance is actually really interesting. Do you see that as an evolution or do you expect that to be just kind of like baked in on day one? I think quality is always an issue. I mean, it's, it's a consideration and it's key for everything you do because uh, as we started earlier on, I, mean, I think that was that was a lot more ingrained in the research industry years ago. To insist, I think we've become very lenient. And as, as we start seeing uh, in the digital area, a lot of the, the KPIs and metrics that are being used around the place, which when as a researcher do not make much sense or uh, you see some of the things that are being reported without not, not having the, the sufficient methodology behind it to really understand what is going on. I think the quality, I think we've gone to the other from one extreme to the other. And I think we need to start going back to really question some of the data that we're sharing into the business. Where is it coming from? Is this something which is uh, 
really happening uh, in the world outside, you know, sampling errors, uh, all these issues. I think we do need to have some kind of quality check on, on the data that we're producing and the insights that we're delivering as a consequence. So, yes, I think it's we, you need to be clear about the governance. As soon as you start questioning the data, then you just question the whole methodology. You could, you know, I, I would start questioning the whole panel if, uh, if that were the case. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's it is an interesting point that you're making and probably one of the more important things that we don't think about till it's too late, which which is it's a trust is a slippery slope. And once it's broken, yeah. it, you know, and, and people start second guessing the the data source, then, you know, you've you've got a material problem on your hands. That's right especially from a vendor perspective, but it also impacts our customers, you know, in terms of how they're viewed in, in the inside of their companies. So, you know, it's just imperative that we pay, a, you know, quality checks and governance are, you know, kind of the, while it's not sexy, I think it's got to be the leading, one of the leading messages just to provide that overall level of uh, uh, comfort. When you, I also wanted to just kind of underscore this, this theme that I've been hearing among my uh, brand guests, which is this, validate a point of view or a theme based on outside data. So like Microsoft is a great example of a company where you can't just go in and present uh, consumer or primary research. You've got mm -hmm. to have that research backed by auxiliary sources, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. third party or behavioral or whatever. I th yeah, I, th I think actually there's been a uh, history when we talk about qualitative and quantitative research. And uh, I think there's always been the discussions inside the, brands and well i went to these focus groups and there were two people who said whatever you know and, and you start you need to put things into perspective one well, yeah you need to validate it through a quantitative and so on i mean qualitative that as you know when you're doing the analysis i mean the repetition of the point of the of, of what is being said is what, what validates the idea so it's not the two people it's when you do a dozen groups and you get that the same overarching idea is present you know there is something in there so i think that that's that's what and I, I that's how i feel a lot of the uh you know uh with, i don't know twitter and facebook and all these social uh, platforms or the or, which is a great way to express this are like huge focus groups i, I find it a, a bit harder to get uh, metrics out of out of uh, some of these tools or measuring of sentiment, when uh, as I look into the different European countries and everyone has uh, you know has their own language and the value of humor and sarcasm uh, plays a different role in different countries. So it's difficult to measure that and quantify that. So I think we do need to be aware on how we're using those tools. And I do like to look whenever we're doing a launch or a follow-up uh, or something happening in the market. I, I love to read all the, all the tweets and just to, to read for like 20 minutes. That's going to give me the overall idea of what is going on. I don't need to know whether the sentiment is positive or negative to a 17 or 37%. I will get the overall idea based on, on what I'm reading from consumers. So I think that is... Uh, there's another thing um, uh, to bear in mind in, the, in terms of, of the reliability of the data and the sources that we're, we're using. Yeah, I mean, social media is interesting. There's been a lot of effort that was made over the last five years to create this, like these sentiment scores and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's still it hasn't been adopted at scale by researchers. You know, it, it definitely has found some purchase. I'm not saying it doesn't have a role, but um, I don't think it's it's achieved what um, the original sort of thesis was, right? Which was, you know, ultimately driving the uh, the sentiment for a specific brand, kind of as expressed on social media. 
The other thing that I want to unpack a little bit before we move on is this point about qualitative and quantitative. You know, quantitative, of course, allows us to extrapolate a point of view on an audience on a, on a you know, at scale, whereas qualitative allows us really to kind of get to more of the under uncovering the why or the, you know, humanizing the, the, the results. And, and so you have that discoverability and, and um, connection with the data. Are you seeing tools come out right now, or do you expect to see tools come out over the next three to five years that allow you to conduct qualitative like research, but at a scale that then allows you to extrapolate to a larger population? Well, I, th I think um, the first thing with, with quality, I think that the attitude we have to it, I think that the biggest change uh, we need to do in, in from a brand's point of view, we need to get out a lot more. It's a very basic thing, but I think uh, we try and do research, but we need to, uh, I think that, 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 that should never be a substitute for common sense. And I think what I find in, in many organizations is that we're all stuck inside offices and we don't go to the point of sale enough. Uh, we don't speak to consumers informally enough. I think we we need to get out and even uh, self-moderating. I mean, this is not against real uh, research institutes who do with professional moderators, but I think it's interesting in several of the organizations I've been to, I've, I've even given trainings on teaching marketing departments on how to moderate. What I mean by moderate is how to ask a question, how to listen to consumers. And I think it's, it's good for clients to actually be able to sit around a table or go shop, go, you know, do shop alongs. A lot of the ethnographic research, I think that is, uh, that's been there for, for ages. But I think we need to do a lot more than the, of that rather than just read things. It's actually get out and talk to people, listen to people. So it's not so much inventing new things, but going in some cases back to basics to learn about those things uh so uh, hard to uh, to imagine i think uh, we've just mentioned also about social uh, social media a lot of the time that is spent and a lot of the purchase decisions that are made online and through uh, social media requires us to to try and improve our measurement our listening how to drive business impact through these channels so I think uh, anything along those lines will probably need uh, need a lot more uh, evolution as as where we are right now. I think that it's moving at such a uh, such a pace that it's it's hard to catch on. But I think that is where most of the work I think needs needs to be done. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, so you're the second guest I've had that has made this point. Estrella Lopez Brea, who's the head of insights for the serial partnership between General Mills and Nestle had the exact same point. And I can't remember, I think it was on her podcast, but it might've been a separate conversation. But the the framework is, um, you know, they uh, them as researchers and even like outside of the research function, they're helping, they're helping others connect with consumers and really with the intent of, you know, not just consumer insights, but also just empathy with, with their constituents. I do think that this is a trend that we will see materialize. I can't quantify yet, but um, I'm going to start incorporating it in more conversations and see how it materializes. So I think, you, th yeah, thanks very much for bringing that up. So my last question is, what is your personal motto? Oh, huh. oh. My <laughs> well, I, haven't, I just haven't really thought about that. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm thinking. I, I think there's a. 
balance. I'm, I like to think about work-life balance. I do take my, my professional career, obviously, with, with great importance. But now that, uh, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I've, I've had the I've got a three-month baby, and you put things into perspective. I think it's it's applicable to both work and the personal life. But I think it's a matter of balance. I think it's uh, uh, I, I, if I were to uh, think back in in my life, I think uh, one of the best decisions has been to spend my life uh, traveling. I've been to over a hundred countries throughout my life, and I think that helps you to understand uh, people a little bit better. I think you know we it is such a global. Uh, environment we're in even more so now that uh, you have to work with multinational companies doesn't matter where you're based you're constantly i think you need to be balanced and be able to uh listen to all the different uh, points of view and try and uh, improve on communication so i think it's just uh as, as a, in terms of motto i would say uh, or, or an attribute i think a value uh, a balanced person i think uh, can go uh, can go far so uh, yeah i think that would be uh, probably the area I would, uh, I would focus on. My guest today has been David Garcia Pauli, Director of European Countries, CMI, that is Consumer and Market Insights at Samsung. Thank you, David, for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Everyone else, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. If you found value, please take a moment. It takes about 60 seconds. Screen capture, post on Twitter or LinkedIn. If you tag uh, Happy Market Research or myself, um, we will be give you a special gift. Ah, how's that? And I actually have 300 stickers. So if you do uh, tag me, I will send you a sticker. I've never done that before either. I right, have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com.